Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brett Bowe continue their discussion on Gnosticism and the Lutheran Confessions. Welcome to Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I am joined today by... Pastor Jason Goodham. Good to see you again, Brett. Yes, you as well, Jason. This is fun. We are enjoying this whole podcasting thing and uh, excited to talk about what's on the docket today. And uh, we are uh, picking up a little bit what we talked about last time as we started to get into Gnosticism a little bit. Uh, always fun, uh, kind of like uh, going through the swamp uh, a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to dive into that today and uh, look at especially how uh, the Apostles' Creed uh, came in as a, a full-blown response to Gnosticism in a way. So um, you have any initial thoughts, Jason, as we get started here today? Well, yeah, it's it's. we want to make sure that we're making clear that Gnosticism, uh, and we talked about this last week a little bit, but uh, Gnosticism isn't a coordinated mm-hmm. movement. It's not a definable mm-hmm. heresy. It's more or less a genre, mm-hmm. really. And uh, when we look at the Apostles' Creed, what we're looking at is really the first coordinated response the church has yeah. to Gnosticism. Now, like we don't that. we don't know uh, in actuality if the Apostles' Creed developed as a response to Gnosticism, but it is hard to ignore the various elements of the Apostles' Creed, uh, knowing that the first time the Apostles' Creed shows up in history, it's in the second century mm-hmm. as a uh, baptismal confession. And that's kind of at the height of Gnosticism, second century, the third century uh, is when you're going to have these Gnostic Gospels showing up. Uh, if you've listened to uh, or read or watched the Da Vinci Code, the source <laughs> material that Dan Brown uses uh, for these kind of legendary far-fetched things in the church is from Gnostic Gospels. Uh, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judah. All of that is produced by Gnostic thinkers, uh, this the secret hidden knowledge. And when we look at the content of the Apostles' Creed, we're going to see it repeatedly reflecting to us the goodness of God and the reality of God, the actuality of the faith, rather than the secret hidden knowledge that is revealed directly into our minds or into our hearts. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's an excellent summary as we get going here today. And, you know, the Apostles' Creed is something that we're so familiar with in our churches. You know, many churches confess the Apostles' Creed, you know, three, maybe four times a month, depending on how it goes, maybe more than that for some and uh, yeah, the Apostles' Creed can become just so familiar that we maybe just don't think about it. So this will be good today to do some thinking of uh, what's going on in the Apostles' Creed. Absolutely. The Apostles' Creed becoming rote uh, in the church is both really good for us and also uh, probably at some point in time disadvantageous. Uh, it's really good because this is the core information of our faith. And it, uh, if it, it's rote, it's become a part of us. You know, I have... Uh, ministered to people as a pastor in nursing homes who have had dementia mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's, and you you can't really have a, a a conversation with them at all. But if I start going through the liturgy of the church that they grew up with, that they're familiar with it, they will snap to attention. Mm-hmm. And, and the Apostles' Creed is part of that. And it is always a good thing to have the the basic information of our faith be at the core of who we are. 
Uh, at the same time, you're right. We want to spend time identifying what the Apostles' Creed means, what it's all about. What exactly are we confessing when we talk about the Apostles' Creed? Yeah, that's good. And uh, who, so which one of the Apostles wrote it? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, in Luther's time, the tradition was that all 12 Apostles uh, contributed one phrase to the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> that's <and> excellent. <laughs> Luther basically said, that's unhelpful. <laughs> uh, and so it's it's structured around the three persons of God, and it's likely, it is likely that none of the Apostles directly contributed to the Creed, but that it is something that's developed out of the teaching of Scripture, which goes all the way back to our talk on the confessions, mm-hmm. that when we confess a creed, when we have an official document like the Book of Concord, like the various documents in the Book of Concord, we want to make sure that we're emphasizing that this isn't replacing Scripture, this isn't uh, over and above Scripture, more important right. than Scripture. It's something that flows it's a directly. Yeah, yeah. It, it flows directly from Scripture. It's a summary so that when someone asks you what you believe— uh, really, you could just literally recite the Apostles' Creed to them, and that's the content of your faith. Nice. I like that. I might try that sometime. You might get a weird response. Yeah, but right. It's worth a shot. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> good. Now, as we dive into this, as as you know, listener, the Apostles' Creed is div- divided into three sections, and uh, those sections are called articles. And I've never, under, I guess I've never looked into that. Why do they use the word article in terms of dividing up? Uh, it's just a fancy way to say the three parts of it. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, Jason, we're going to be getting into each one of these articles. And uh, it, we have the first article, of course. And uh, could you tell us all uh, how, how that article specifically combats uh, Gnosticism as we're, as we're talking about it here? Sure. The first article of the creed, the first uh, item of our faith is to recognize God as the Father. Uh, The article reads, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, What this is teaching is that creation is the responsibility of God Almighty. And now this has uh, an address to Gnostic thinking because creation in the Bible is presented to us as being good. Mm -hmm. You've got Genesis 1 and 2 And in creation, God spends six days uh, creating light, creating Mm -hmm. planets in the universe, creating plants and animals, water, so on and so forth. The end of each one of the days, uh, days one through five ends, and God saw what he had done, and it was good. Mm -hmm. And the end of day six, culminating with the creation of humanity, Adam and Eve, God saw what he had made, and it was very good. Uh, And so we see that the God of the Old Testament, as the Gnostics have taught throughout the centuries, is considered to be an evil God. Mm-hmm. Uh, people look at the corruption of the world, they look at the pain and suffering in the world, and, and uh, who does this but some sort of psychopathic, uh, crazed maniac who would create evil, uh, who would cause his children to suffer, so on and so forth. And so the God of the Old Testament was viewed as very bad, uh, and our physical natures as uh, human beings was considered to be worthless, to, to be trash. And, and really, this is kind of has flowed into scientific naturalism, that uh, we're basically just bags of chemicals drifting through the universe. Right. Yeah. And so the, the first article really emphasizes this idea that all of creation is good. Uh, and it's that's in, in opposition to the Gnostic view of the physical bad and you know the spiritual good in a sense. Yeah, the the idea that God created nature 
to be good is something that we ought to think about as mm-hmm. Christians. And, and even uh, more than just responding to Gnosticism, mm-hmm. re- responding to the evil of the day, uh, I think Christians need to consider yeah. uh, what our place is with environmentalism. You know, certainly uh, most of us wouldn't go as far as it has gone today, mm-hmm. but we also shouldn't be res- uh, shunning our responsibility to care for nature, sure. to be responsible with the good gifts that God has given us because when we pray in the Lord's prayer, give us this day, our daily bread, God is using the created universe Mm -hmm. to deliver to us daily bread. You know, if we, we think literally of our daily bread, uh, the wheat, uh, the oats, the grains that make our bread come from the earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, God delivers that to us in that way. Um, and we also should be considering then, uh, what that means in our relationship with God, our relation to God, I should say, is that he is our creator. And so even in this first article of the creed, yeah. there's this superiority uh, creator-creature relationship. Right. Yeah, and uh, that's an excellent thing to uh, to have in mind here as we, as we dwell on this and appreciate that truth. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking forward to... I'm sure we'll be diving into this more later on in our podcast as we uh, look at uh, the catechism and uh, and that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yep. you know, the the hard part about teaching through the Book of Concord is that uh, <laughs> the the Apostles' Creed is the only thing that gets double duty mm-hmm. as far as the documents are concerned, because you have the Apostles' Creed as creed uh, being the very first document in the Book of Concord, but then Luther covers it extensively in the small and the large catechism. And Mm -hmm. uh, so we're treating it now as a response historically in the Christian faith to Gnosticism uh, as we get down the line and start to open the catechisms, and we're going to do both catechisms together. uh, We will look at the theology of the... uh, of the Apostles' Creed, and and the first article of the Creed is one of my most favorite places because we say it, and you can say it in five seconds, right? right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. There is so much there for us to be considering right. from, a, from a theological basis, but here we're really uh, emphasizing the goodness of God and the goodness of God's activity. Yeah, excellent. And uh, like you say, we could dive into that more, but let's move on to the second article, Jason. And uh, that is, of course, speaking about our Lord and Savior, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And uh, so uh, interesting, you know, the first article shorter, like you mentioned, you could say it in a few seconds, uh, but then the second article a little bit longer. Second article is longer, very specific, very detailed. You have, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. So that is our second article of redemption. Mm-hmm. The first article, uh, the yeah. first person of the Trinity, God is our creator, God the Father. Second article, God the Son is our redeemer. And the key phrases as far as a Gnostic thought is concerned uh, is born of the Virgin Mary. That's the first and the foremost one, but it's not the Virgin Mary we're so much concerned about. In fact, uh, I would suspect that in the first few centuries of the church's history that 
Gnostics would chase after the idea of a virgin giving birth to the Savior because of their disdain for creation, their disdain for human flesh, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. But what we have here, the objectionable thing in that phrase, born of the Virgin Mary, is the word born. Born. That he was <laughs> delivered physically into this world by a very natural process. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that the Gnostics would have uh, taken umbrage with, um, the, the idea of, of Jesus being born. Yeah, and so, you know, Jesus being born, and uh, he continued to uh, live out his life uh, here on earth. And did they take offense at anything else in, in the life of Christ? Well, one of the things we're going to have to understand is that the Gnostic concept of Jesus most commonly is stated that Jesus was either kind of more or less possessed by the spirit of the Christ, or Jesus was in apparition, mm-hmm. that he just appeared to be human but wasn't really there. So in, in reality, every part of the physical life of Christ stands as a testimony against Gnostic thought. But uh, specifically, uh, you have he suffered under Pontius Pilate, and so you have the beatings You have the mental anguish of the trial, uh, an illegal trial in the middle of the night. You have his fatigue. Uh, All of that, the the suffering he experienced under Pontius Pilate, the crown of thorns being pressed into his head, uh, so on and so forth. The, The actuality of the person of Jesus is emphasized in that. The fact that he was historically crucified, that he literally died, and that he was buried in a tomb, all speak against Gnosticism, and then rising again from the dead with his physical body. This is incredibly important for the church to be confessing, and especially when you consider the early history of Gnosticism in the church. Yeah, right. And so the the Gnostics, you know, I, sometimes I describe this as, you know, if you take away the resurrection, it's kind of like... Uh, pulling out the bottom piece of the Jenga Ugh. tower and everything falls apart. And so they're really attacking the, the basis of the base of Christianity, the foundation. Well, Paul confesses in 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection of the dead, we're fools. Mm-hmm. We of all people should be pitied. We're wasting our time on Sunday mornings. We're wasting our time uh, recording this podcast mm-hmm. uh, because there is no Christianity. You provide the body of Jesus Christ or you take away the resurrection and it's all over. The resurrection is the evidence that Jesus accomplished what he did on the cross for our sins. And so uh, in the second article of the creed, we are emphasizing the historical, factual information in the Gospels that as they are delivered to us, and we are also emphasizing the human nature of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so, n- not to be confused, we've already confessed the divine nature of Christ, yep. and, and in his only Son, our Lord, but also the human nature of Christ as an actual person. Sure, so it's coming down to the, the person of Christ. And uh, yeah, so let's move on to the third article. Uh, Jason, what what does the third article have to say? So the third article identifies God, the Holy Spirit, as our sanctifier, the third person of the Trinity. You have, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So for us, the third article of the Creed is our Christian life. Yeah. It's the one that impacts us most directly as we live. Uh, And the key phrase is, Uh, Here are the Holy Christian Church as a unit has been instituted by Christ. You go to Matthew 16, 
verses 16 through 19. We read that already. Peter's confession, Jesus says, on this rock, Peter's confession, I will build my church. You have the forgiveness of sins. Now, here is where you really have your separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Christian church deals with the problem of sin and deals with the problem of, of evil in a wholly different way than the Gnostic thinkers do. Uh, mm-hmm. The Gnostic thinkers deal with evil by dismissing the cause of evil. You get rid of the physical, you get rid of the evil God, you denounce the flesh, or you you celebrate the flesh because it's got no eternal value. It's where you get hedonism and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Christian church has announced that sin is real, but that sin has been forgiven in Christ on the cross. And so the third article of the creed intimately connected with the second article of the creed in that way. And Gnostic thought is being addressed in that. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, uh, and this is kind of the the nail in the coffin uh, of the cause against Gnosticism here, uh, is that uh, you have the resurrection of the body at the end, at the culmination of the Christian life. And so We uh, need to really be careful in the church on this because we as pastors, Christian thinkers, kind of uh, perpetuate this idea that heaven is this ethereal, spiritual existence. Floating on a cloud. Yeah, yeah. floating on a cloud. We're spiritual beings. The, The reality of Scripture presents that once eternity comes, once Christ comes back, uh, we are going to live in eternity in a physical existence. You get your body back. Mm-hmm. That's one of the great comforts uh, as pastors, as we minister to people yeah. who are dying of cancer, who have some other terminal disease, even as they suffer catastrophic injuries, is in the end, you get your body back mm-hmm. perfectly whole, perfectly free of disease. And so our existence mm-hmm. in the the perfectness of eternity is a physical, literal, real existence. That is awesome. Yeah, and that, and you know, as you think of, I like how you you, you went with that. Uh, you know, think of the third article. Sometimes it feels like a, a grab bag of yeah. of miscellaneous and everything else. Yeah, and every, everything else. <laughs> Uh, but I like how you tied it together and connected it to the second article, uh, the resurrection of the body, and and how that really. Uh, Goes in the flies in the face of the Gnostics mm-hmm. um, there, and so um, yeah. Even though it is kind of a bunch of random things, it feels like they they are all connected uh, together. And if you study the creed as a whole, the order of the creed is fantastic. It, it's not a random kind of an encyclopedic listing of information. There's a pattern. The the second and the third articles might be intimately connected, but they flow directly from the first article. If we understand as Christians that God created everything that exists and intended it to be, then the problem of evil in the world is a problem that needs to be redeemed instead of erased or dismissed. And so you have the forgiveness of sins, not the dismissal of sins. You have the necessity of the physical life because that's where our eternity exists. The the paradise of God is pictured in scripture as a return to Eden, not as something new and like I said, ethereal or spiritual, kind of this abstract philosophical notion. Heaven, uh, the intermediate state is a spiritual state. Our bodies lie in the grave, and we're at the side of Christ being comforted. But everything after that, uh, when Jesus returns, is all physical, is all real, and is all actual. Yes, amen to that. And uh, that's a great summary of of what we've talked about today. And uh, the Apostles' Creed uh, spoke to 
people many, many years ago, and it, it is uh, still valid today as, as it's um, coming straight from Scripture. And so do uh, you have any final closing thoughts today? No, I would just encourage people the next time that they confess the creed, whether they do it in their daily devotions or at church, to realize that this is the best summary of Scripture that exists. It's the best summary of your faith that you have. And I would encourage you not only to confess it, but to live in it, to realize what it means for you. Amen. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hi, thank you for tuning in to Being Lutheran. You can find us on the web at beinglutheran.com. Please join us next week when Pastor Jason and Pastor Brett continue their discussion on the Lutheran confessions and their importance to the body of Christ.